patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. Thank you so much for joining us this week for our second episode of the Sacred Honor series. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button after you're finished with this episode so that you don't miss a single episode at any time. We've got episodes every single week. This is our Sacred Honor series, which which is a brand new series that started in July 2021 with our first episode about John Hancock. That's episode 47. Uh, so if you like it, you can check out that episode as well after you're finished listening with this one. Now, today, our founder or signer, whom we are discussing today, is someone whom I really didn't know a whole lot about outside of the realm of TV. When people hear the name Josiah Bartlett, they might not think about the doctor from New Hampshire. They're probably thinking of the fictitious president, played by Martin Sheen. West Wing is a great show, and... uh, as much as I would like to get into about that show and about President Bartlett, however, I think it's important to acknowledge one of his predecessors, essentially President Bartlett in the West Wing, is a direct descendant of today's founder and signer of the Declaration of Independence. Dr. Josiah Bartlett was born in 1729 in Amesbury, which was in Massachusetts at the time. And he had a very early interest in medicine. But as someone who didn't have all the resources available, he really needed to maximize what he had. At the age of 16, he started study of medicine with a guy named Dr. James Ordway. And Dr. Ordway Interestingly enough, wasn't like a really big shot medical guy. He didn't really have that medical instruction that Josiah needed. But with the limited resources and the hard work, the intellect that Bartlett had, he was able to use this experience, as well as his experience working with another colonial era doctor, uh, to be recognized as a force in medicine in his hometown of Kingston. Back then, he was known as a practitioner then, uh, but he wanted to do more. And he, he was so ingenious that he actually treated patients during an outbreak in his hometown, Kingston. Back then, there was a disease and an outbreak called um, diphtheria, uh, diphtheria is a an infection in the throat, and the medicine at the time actually made patients feel worse, and unfortunately actually made a lot of patients suffer, uh, unfortunately even to the cases of death. But Dr. Bartlett was not going to let that 
get away from him in terms of his ambitions, not just as a medical professional, but as a public servant. He discovered the treatment using Peruvian bark that treated patients, even despite the outbreak that killed probably around 114, 116 people in his little town of Kingston. Dr. Bartlett really gained that reputation as someone who had profound intellect. And he also was viewed as someone who cared so much about the patient. In fact, some described him as the man who treated the patients instead of the disease. I think I think it was very, very profound for someone like him to develop a, a cure for this and to be able to use this as a platform for public service. Eventually, he got a lot of attention. And there was one man who was the provincial governor of New Hampshire at the time. And then this guy's name was John Wentworth of the British Crown. And he noticed this young guy, Dr. Bartlett, in his 30s. And he realized, you know what? This guy seems really, really smart. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep him by my side. And so when Dr. Bartlett was elected to represent Kingston, his hometown again, in the New Hampshire Provincial Assembly in 1765, Governor Wentworth chose him as the liaison between the assembly and the governor. Quite a, quite a position to hold, if you ask me, especially during those tensious times. 1765 was around the time of the Stamp Act, so tensions were already starting to boil over. And Governor Wentworth really thought that he needed to get Bartlett on his side. Now, during this time, Wentworth wanted to go a step further. In 1767, he chose Dr. Bartlett for Justice of the Peace. He was eventually chosen as Lieutenant Commander of the 7th Militia Regiment. And obviously, he was an assemblyman already. So this guy really already had a lot of political power in New Hampshire. And you would think, for perhaps most people, that when you have someone appointing you for all these positions, you would no doubt be serving that individual as kind of like a payback, a repayment for those incredibly high honor positions. But that's not what Dr. Bartlett was about. As tensions started to increase in the late 1760s into the 1770s, Dr. Bartlett was not pleased at all about what was happening. He didn't like what the British were doing to the colonists. And remember that you know Bartlett has a very unique bond with his home colony of New Hampshire. And he really cared about this bond between himself and the communities. That's why he was so avidly fighting for the local economy, for education, for infrastructure, and all the things that New Hampshire needed to function and survive and prosper. And when he saw this larger dynamic playing out, 
he felt that New Hampshire was, I guess it went being left out of this whole fight. And he certainly didn't like the way uh, people were, you know, were treating him. And I don't think he very, very much liked Governor Wentworth's actions. And so as time, time went on, he started to build connections. And when it got so bad, it was around 1774, he really became a staunch supporter of colonial interests. He actually started communicating with Samuel Adams, kind of an important guy in the American Revolution. But he really wanted to find a way to play a part in this whole fight, not just between New Hampshire and the British Crown, but really the American colonies and these ideas of freedom and prosperity and justice. And this was very, very risky because he had all these positions. And so when Governor Wentworth dissolved the Provincial Assembly, Dr. Bartlett was still maintaining communication, was still head of a technically illegal uh, New Hampshire Assembly at the time. And Governor Wentworth saw this, and he completely stripped Dr. Bartlett of all those positions that I just named earlier. One day when Dr. Bartlett went back to his home in Kingston, House, gone. Burned down. I mean, just imagine how throughout your life you've been such a dedicated supporter of your hometown, your home community. You've been awarded all these positions of power, of responsibility. And for your home to be burned down, most likely by loyalists, or people who are loyal to the British crown. And this just infuriated him. But it gave him, I think, gave him more motivation than ever before. He not only rebuilt his house on the same site, which took quite a while, as you could probably imagine, but he he wanted to get more involved. And because of his political clout in New Hampshire, he was elected as delegate to the Continental Congress for 1775 and 1776. He actually wanted to serve earlier, but because his house was burned down, he he felt that he just couldn't be able to serve for the larger good at that time. But he did start work, 1775 and 1776. And from what I've read and what I've learned about Dr. Bartlett, he was a workhorse, like a power workhorse guy. Remember that Bartlett was really one of the few individuals who had... This this political uh, recognition and power and fame in New Hampshire. And so he was actually the only delegate from New Hampshire at the Continental Congress. And the rules are for that Congress is when you're assigned with all these committees, when you have multiple delegates, you can split that work evenly. Not with New Hampshire because Bartlett was the only guy there. I'm not sure if he had ever had an idea for an internship program, but he probably definitely would have wanted one a lot sooner. But there he was at every single committee he could be on, at every single meeting he could attend to, and it was a lot of work. Imagine how many different tasks you have to juggle with comms, with ammunition, with finances and diplomacy and all the rest that have to be sorted out in the Continental Congress. 
But I think his hard work really paid off. In February of 1776, he wrote, quote, The time is now at hand when we shall see whether America has virtue enough to be free or not, unquote. Still a question, still a statement that I think is very relevant today. And I think it should be relevant at all times. There came a point when he just like, I, I need some help. And he pleaded to the Continental Congress saying, I, I can't do this alone. I need to have other people help. I think that was very important because I think anyone who's in that position where you're the only guy from your colony, you, you can have all the power you want. You can just say, I'm a one-man show. This is about me. But I think he really understood that you can't function if you don't have some kind of delegation responsibility and you have more people on board, which does give the movement, this revolution movement, a bit more credibility, more supporters on board. And on July 2nd, 1776, when John Hancock, president of the Continental Congress, started that roll call vote, it was going to start from the very northern colony, from north to south. And guess who was the first to vote for independence and for the signing of the Declaration of Independence? And that was Dr. Josiah Bartlett. He was the first to vote aye for the signing of the an adoption of the Declaration of Independence. And he was the second to sign the Declaration of Independence only after John Hancock. Truly a defining moment for our nation and for generations afterwards. Later on in 1777, when the Articles of Confederation were adopted and put together, he was the first one to vote for the Articles of Confederation and the first to sign it. Now, even though the Articles of Confederation ultimately didn't work at all, but this was really that first attempt to establish the United States government as we know it today. And he was part of that group of people who recognized the mistakes and the errors in that Articles of Confederation. But by putting your name on it, it also shows your intent to make effective change. Just like how he wanted that effective change to come in his local communities in New Hampshire. He served as a judge from 1779 to 1782, even though he really had no legal training whatsoever. He was just that brilliant. He became an associate justice of the New Hampshire Superior Court in 1782 and became the chief justice in 1788. He was someone whom people viewed as fair and loyal to the, the law. Dr. Bartlett also was a staunch supporter of the U.S. Constitution. Just like many others, I don't think he felt that it was perfect, but he knew that to establish this nation, you have to start with a foundation of freedom, of liberty, of opportunity, and a system where people can express their grievances and have effective changes made without going through another American Revolution 
without having this breakdown in discourse that he saw, not least because he felt that punishment, if he did not comply with an authoritarian way of living. In 1788, he was appointed a delegate to the New Hampshire State Convention. And there were a bunch of people gathered around, and it was very, very tough because New Hampshire, I mean, still is today, but New Hampshire was a very, very rural colony. And a lot of people were really concerned that their voices were not going to be heard. It was a common theme throughout the Constitutional Convention, where the smaller states were very, very concerned about the size of the federal government. But he was someone who, again, who had that bond with those local communities. And that's why he was able to effectively secure the state ratification and have New Hampshire become the ninth state to join the Union. Bartlett also recognized that he had limitations, notably on health. He was governor of New Hampshire from 1790 to 1794, elected pretty much unanimously. A lot of people really, really loved the way he governed. And while he still fought for those same issues, you know, agriculture, commerce, of safety and whatnot, health became an issue. And that's why he, he couldn't be U.S. senator. He was offered that position in 1789, but he had to decline. And this kind of transitions really well into his medical philosophy. Now, I, I, when I say medical philosophy, I don't mean like the, the technical aspects of medicine. I did briefly mention, though, that about his service to his hometown. He also helped a, uh, a Continental General uh, John Stark and his army at one of the battles in the American Revolution and tender, tended to a number of various wounded soldiers, which I think is very, very commendable. But if the medical philosophy really stems on something a little different, and that is he really believed that medicine, in his almost 50 years of practice, needs to have codes of conduct and needs to have people to follow that in accordance with liberal principles. Now remember, liberal principles not as in like the liberal versus conservative. I'm saying liberal as in values of respect, of opportunity, of people who can disagree with one another civilly. Those kinds of, of values. Perhaps values that he didn't see enough from Governor Wentworth and from the loyalists at the time. And I want to now turn to what he ultimately did. Now, he did serve as governor, but I think what was really astounding about Josiah Bartlett was that he started the New Hampshire Medical Society in 1791, which still exists today. And I thought it would be interesting to take a look at what the Medical Society was, but also look at the Constitution. Bartlett was very influential in crafting the Constitution for the New Hampshire Medical Society, and i like to just read parts of it for you today. Towards the end of the Constitution, 
He's got one section here that says, Article 1, Duties of the Profession to the Public. He essentially wrote this constitution to express what physicians should be abiding by in terms of the rules and the conventions. But he, I think he went a step further. Here's what he said. He said, quote, As good citizens, it is the duty of physicians to be ever vigilant for the welfare of the community and to bear their part in sustaining its institutions and burdens. They should also be ever ready to give counsel to the public in relation to matters, especially appertaining to their profession, as on subjects of medical police, public hygiene, and legal medicine. It is their province to enlighten the public in regard to quarantine regulations, the location, arrangement, and dietaries of hospitals, asylums, schools, prisons, and similar institutions. And he continues to say, in relation to the medical police of towns as drainage, ventilation, etc., and in regard to measures for the prevention of epidemic and contagious diseases, and when and pestilence prevails. It is their duty to face the danger and to continue their labors for the alleviation of the suffering, even at the jeopardy of their own lives. Unquote. I think this passage really encapsulates how he viewed the medical profession. He didn't just see it as a career. He saw this as a window for medical professionals to serve their communities because he himself had done it and I think he wanted people to have that opportunity to practice that as part of the New Hampshire Medical Society and for the larger medical profession in this new nation. He understood that medical professionals have a unique need in society, and he's calling for them to be part of the policies that could protect public health. Sound familiar, especially with the COVID pandemic? Absolutely. Now, what about this whole idea of differences between physicians about the science? We hear a lot about that nowadays. What did he say? What did the New Hampshire Medical Society say? Well, here's what they say. Article 6 about differences between physicians. And I think this is super interesting as well. He said, quote, Diversity of opinion and opposition of interest may, in the medical as in other professions, sometimes occasion controversy and even contention. Whenever such cases unfortunately occur and cannot be immediately terminated, they should be referred to the arbitration of a sufficient number of physicians or a court medical. As peculiar reserve must be maintained by physicians toward the public in regard in professional to professional matters, and as there exist numerous points in medical ethics and etiquette through which the feelings of medical men may be painfully assailed in their intercourse with each other, and which cannot be understood or appreciated by a general society, neither the subject matter of such differences nor the adjudication of the arbitrators should be made public, as publicity in a case of this nature may be personally injurious to the individuals concerned and can hardly fail to bring discredit on the faculty, unquote. When you hear a quote like this, many of you are probably thinking of the times nowadays. We hear differences in opinion among scientists. 
Perhaps there's more of a consensus one way or another amongst scientists. But the real problem is kind of what this section of the Constitution is saying. It's saying that when scientists have their debates, let those debates occur in the professional setting. I I don't understand, personally, why there are scientists who think that everyone else is a scientist. It's not... You know, going after their profession and anything. In fact, it's the opposite. If you want to preserve the medical profession, we have to let it be as it is, not meld it into politics, not meld it into areas where it doesn't belong. That is going to taint it. That's going to politicize scientists. That's going to politicize the scientific community. And that's not what we want. Bartlett himself probably had a lot of challenges too as a medical professional, but as a, as an activist, as someone who was fighting for the, the colonial cause. And by outlining all of these principles, these are just two sections that I'm reading for now. But he also wrote later saying that we need to respect a lot of these scientists and what they do every single day to advance a whole subject that benefits the entire society. He said that the public ought likewise to entertain a just appreciation of medical qualifications, to make a proper discrimination between true science and the assumptions of ignorance and empiricism. Unquote. And, and you just... When you read something like this, you think about someone who cares so much about that medical profession, that he's willing to make public this idea that we need to preserve science as an institution that is not about one particular scientist. It's not about a scientist going around making all the media rounds and promoting him or herself as a Hollywood star. That is not what science is about. It should be about the greater good of the profession, but also about society in general, because that is how we promote the common good. I want to conclude now with three main takeaways that I think we can get from Dr. Josiah Bartlett. He was a man who served so many in so many capacities, but just had that quick mind, that accurate judgment a lot of people admired. He was also very innovative and very creative. Unfortunately, due to ill health, he could not serve as governor for New Hampshire very long, and he passed away in 1795. The first takeaway I think we should remember from Dr. Bartlett is that we have to have a loving bond with our communities to make change. It's not enough that we pursue a higher office or that we want more power, more responsibilities. When we maintain that connection to our communities or to whatever community you belong to, whether it's at birth or later down in your life. It has to occur before you can make that effective change. By serving your own people, people will get to know you. You'll be able to make connections with those people. We've had guests on the show who have done that, who have made those connections with people and have been so successful and have had, I think, the understandable recognition that they've gotten from their local communities. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. But I do think Dr. Bartlett proved that 
in his hometown of Kingston, his home colony, which then became a state of New Hampshire and for his country. The second thing is that the medical profession and medical science in general really have to be protected and maintained as liberal institutions. And again, not liberal as in liberal versus conservative, liberal institutions as in places where people can practice not just medicine, but respect of civility, of conversation, of innovation. That's what he was outlining in the New Hampshire Medical Society. He believed that the advancement of medicine should be an integral part of being becoming a citizen. In fact, he re- he refers to medical professionals as people as part of that society. They're not just removed in you know in a science lab or in a hospital. They are part of our fabric in our communities and societies. As someone who's not a doctor myself, I hope that the medical profession will be a forum for people who not only love medicine, but also love their nation as well. And they care about the people they serve. They can be the people who treat the patient and not the disease. And I do think we have a lot of those people in our society. My anticipation is that we bring out those stories. We bring out those stories of people who lived out the American dream. And for those who care about that institution of science, not just as a career, as a way to make ends meet and to make money, but as a way to help others in desperate need. And finally, from the Oval Office in the West Wing from President Jed Bartlett, I think his quote really sums up this final takeaway. President Bartlett once said, Quote, decisions are made by those who show up, unquote. We certainly saw that with his, his ancestor, Dr. Bartlett, who showed up to all those committee meetings, even though it was such a pain, you know, to have to meet with all these people, not to mention dealing with a whole bunch of other people. You're the only guy from New Hampshire, and you still have to put up with a lot of various different voices. When you might feel that you're just one little colony and from one little town, and yet you're showing up because you know, you understand what this larger mission is for yourself, for your family, your community, and for a new nation, and for new generations as a whole. That, I think, is also incredibly profound. And for these reasons, I think Dr. Bartlett truly is a hero in American medicine. As a founding father, he set the cornerstones for independence and for our federal republic. Perhaps the life of Dr. Josiah Bartlett from New Hampshire was a very fitting ancestor for the fictitious but impressive U.S. President Jed Bartlett. Dr. Josiah Bartlett can serve as an inspiration for New Hampshire, for the United States, and for future generations whether they're in the medical profession or not, everyone, I think, can learn so much from Dr. Josiah Bartlett, who was a medical power 
but also a power of intellect, wisdom, and compassion for his fellow citizens. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to check out the first episode of the Sacred Honor series, if you haven't already, featuring John Hancock. This is episode 47, which I'll link in the description and show notes below. Have a great rest of your day, rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.